everyone. My name's Liam. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to bring God's Word to you tonight. Great to hear these stories, isn't it? It's fantastic to hear the, the way that God's been at work in these young lives. Well, why are they getting baptized? Uh, well, in a sense, they've answered that question, haven't they? Uh, but I want to take you to a passage in the Bible that really helps us understand exactly why they're getting baptized. And I wanted to take you in particular to a story in Acts chapter 2, a true story which tells us why 3,000 people were baptized in one day. So I want to turn to Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 to 38. Uh, maybe you've got a Bible there. You have to, uh, well, you're welcome to turn to it, but if you want to just listen in, that's all right. Uh, this is God's Word, a true account of what happened on this day. Uh, Peter, uh, one of Jesus' apostles, uh, said this to a gathered crowd of Jewish people from all different backgrounds, all different places. He said this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, I would routinely take two or three weeks uh, to go through a passage like this, but I'm going to race through it in 10 to 12 minutes. You ready? Let me try and make it as simple as possible for us. Why are these young people being baptized tonight? Why was it that all those years ago, 3,000 people were baptized? Well, I want to give you two main reasons tonight from this passage. Uh, one, something happened in history, and two, something happened in their heart. 
first of all, something happened in history. Now, whenever you read a passage like this and you even hear the Apostle Peter stand up and talk about exactly what is happening, you have to understand that we are not talking about fiction here. We're talking about fact. This is not myth or made up. This is real life. And this is a really important thing to remember before I even go on to say another thing. I've heard so many people shrug off the truth about Jesus saying, oh, so what? Some first century J.K. Rowling wrote a novel, but oh, come on, don't pretend this stuff that you read in these black books here is real. Well, that opinion, friends, does not stand up. You have to reject tons and tons of evidence concerning the historicity, the historical reliability of the book that is called the Bible, as we call it, the Holy Scriptures. We have over 22,000 scrolls, fragments, partial scrolls, all showing us effectively that what we have in our hands today is what was written back then by, by those who were primary witnesses. As well as that, again and again, you have historical and archaeological evidence coming along day after day, month after month, backing up this truth. Now, what Peter tells us here straight away is Jesus was a real person from a real place, Nazareth. His life is well documented, not just, of course, by Christians, as we see in this book of the Bible, in the book of Acts, but also, as we know from uh, Roman and Jewish people like Tacitus and Josephus, historians, well-renowned historians in their day. But here are the things that Peter's saying to us concerning this historical person, Jesus Christ. Two very important things. The first thing he says to these guys who are gathered here, gathered there at that time, is Jesus died. Uh, Jesus was put to death on a cross, and effectively he says, you did it. He drives home their culpability, okay? Verse 23 says, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Let me give you the backdrop to this. The people back then had been looking forward to this long-awaited Messiah, God's promised anointed king who was going to come and who was going to bring all sorts of blessing. He would be a ruler who would save his people from their sins, lay his life on the line, care for his people in love, take down their greatest of enemies. And Jesus was that Messiah. He claimed to be so, and we see from various passages of the Bible that was the case. But the people, in a sense, back then measured Jesus up like tracing paper over whatever caricature of kingship or messiahship that they had of him in that day. And he did not meet their expectations. Therefore, well, they tossed him in the bin. And they rejected him. They charged him, in fact, with being a fraud. And they had him killed for blasphemy of all things. And Peter is saying, you guys got him all wrong. And there is culpability in that. There's disobedience in it. Because he's just said, God is the one who has, uh, uh, by his own purpose and foreknowledge, gave him over to you. He was accredited to you, which basically in the Greek, that word means to put on display. He was billboarded before every single eye and told, and told everyone that he was the Messiah, the promised king. And God sent this Jesus into the world doing all sorts of amazing feats, and every single one acted like this kind of neon sign pointing and flashing, 
showing us again and again and again that he was the one. But Peter indicts the people of that day. You got him wrong. You missed it. You wanted some kind of gluten-free Messiah that wouldn't upset you in any way. But he was the one. You missed it. But more than that, you put him to death. You put him to death. Now, Peter isn't messing about with this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was put to death, and you've got blood on your hands. Now, speaking to these people back then, these were, I'm sure, some of the people who were there on that very day, just seven weeks before when Jesus himself was before the crowds, and they all hollered, crucify. They very much, in a, in a very real sense, were culpable, but in a sense, so are, so are we, though we live 2,000 years later. There is, it's very much a sense where, though we may not be culpable for his actual death, in a very real sense, it was our sin that took him there. Now, Peter says to these guys, you were wrong in your judgment about him. He died because of your rejection. But he said that though Jesus had really died, and, and we have to stress that, Jesus did really die on that cross. In today's terms, you're talking about tags on toes and body bags. But something amazing happened. The second thing that Peter highlights in summary of that immense passage is that Jesus rose. He said, Jesus died and you did it. And he said that Jesus rose and God did it. God raised him from the dead, verse 24, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here's a question. Why is it impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus? The Bible offers many reasons. Peter offers two here, really. God raised him. That's powerful enough. But he, he raised him in order to vindicate his son. But God is proving both the identity and sinlessness of Jesus by raising him from the dead. But, of course, death failed to keep him. That's the other side of it, the negative side of it. Now, this is clever. What Peter's doing here is he's almost personifying death. I mean, picture death in your own eyes. I don't know what kind of image comes to mind. Most people think of long black cloaks and uh, long scythe. Anyway, I don't know what you're thinking. But death had its cold claws in Christ in the tomb for two days. But on that third day, God raised Jesus from the dead and death flusters in its attempt to hold on to Jesus. Why is that? Why can it not hold on? Why is the word impossible in our text? Well, it goes back to Jesus' life and how he lived. He did not sin, ever. He did not sin. And the Bible teaches us that death entered the world as a punishment for sin and that the wages of sin is death. There's a connection. So what do sinners earn according to that verse? Well, death, that's how serious sin is. And what sin had Jesus committed that justified those wages? He was dead after all. Well, none. He hadn't committed any sin. He is the epitome of holy love for God and neighbor, the prime example of selfless care and total obedience. He deserves the wages of life. That's why it was, that's why it was when God raised Jesus to life, he slipped effortlessly through the limp, greasy fingers of death. There are other reasons related to that. I would love to explain them all to you, but I'm already 12 minutes up. 
Now, this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. It's there. Peter explains that to these guys who are all gathered there in Acts chapter 2 as we have it. But what happened? What happened? So something has happened in history. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. But the second thing why these people were baptized back then, and these guys will be tonight, is because something has happened in their hearts. Verse 57 tells us, that when Peter speaks these words, they are cut to the heart. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. What, what is that about? What does that mean? Well, I think it's talking about conviction. It's talking about a deep sense of conviction that has its own mix of in this sense, probably fear and sorrow. So fear in the sense that they've come to the realization that the one Jesus that they have treated as some kind of enemy of God is actually now alive and he's defeated the greatest enemy that anybody could ever face, death. Therefore, what hope would they as enemies of God in their unbelief have in the face of Jesus, the almighty judge who has promised that one day he's coming back? Well, they are quaking in their boots. We just killed the Messiah? There's fear in it. There's a deep sense of their culpability in it. But there is no doubt that there is sorrow in it. All the hopes of God's people, Israel, back then, the very one that they were waiting for, they not only missed him, they rejected him. They considered him cursed by God, not sent by God. They experience sorrow and conviction. I've used this illustration before, but I'd like to use it again. There's a story about a medieval prince called Llewellyn. And one day Llewellyn went into the bedroom of his infant son and found the cot overturned and there was no sign of the child. His heart sank. And when he saw blood spattered around the other side of the bed, he, his heart sank even more. He feared the worst. At that moment, Gellert, the family dog, entered the room with blood dripping from his mouth. And Llewellyn, his heart just boiled with rage to the point that he drew his sword and thrust it into Gellert's side. And just as the dog fell limp, Llewellyn heard a cry from the next room, the cry of his baby son. He burst through the door to find his son lying on the ground, but unscathed, and only feet away lay a dead wolf whose throat had been torn. Llewellyn quickly realized that the blood dripping from Gellert's mouth was not the blood of his child, but the blood of the wolf. And then he realized that Gellert was not the child's attacker, but in fact the child's savior. And when he realized that, he was cut to the heart. The people of Jerusalem back then had a certain view of Jesus. They said to him, you're an enemy and you're a threat, and they pierce him. But on this day, Peter's sermon acts like the child's cry in the other room. And Peter, sharing the good news, the gospel with them, helped them see, though, that it was because of him that they died. And they felt it. They felt that sorrow and guilt and shame the kind of guilt and shame that we all experience whenever we come face to face with the reality that there is a God and we have sinned against him and that the way we live our lives matters. Each of our friends tonight have told exactly how they've come to the same realization. 
If you ever felt that way, maybe you're here tonight, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You've never trusted Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. These guys felt there was a big mistake to reject Jesus. They felt they had made a huge mistake by getting him all wrong. And they did something about it. So when you're cut to the heart, what do you do? When you feel that conviction, what do you do? You cry out for help. That's exactly what they did. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter responds with two things. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Turn away from that sin. Turn from it and turn to God. Turn from that sin with sorrow over it. It's wrong in the sight of our holy gods. And turn with gladness and joy, receiving the grace and the welcome invitation that he extends to us, even those who were by nature his enemies. Turn to him and find him not frowning and wagging his finger at you in distaste, but with open arms of welcome grace when you come in the name of his son. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repentance is this turning of your heart, the turning of your minds, leading to this change in behavior. You live a different life. Repentance is what we do when we see sin for what it is and Jesus for who he is. And that's exactly what Peter calls on them to do. And that's what we are all called to do. And baptism. Baptism is what we do to show that we have changed our mind about Jesus. Baptism is that thing that is so intimately tied with our conversion that we proclaim what Christ has done for us as has been explained already, shows that we believe in him, shows that we identify with him in his death and his resurrection. It's our death. It's our resurrection. Uh, that's where our, we're symbolically portraying that our sins are washed away and that we have we've been raised again to newness of life through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is why this is happening tonight. 3,000 people were baptized on that day. These friends are being baptized tonight to put on display these simple realities. Their baptism symbolizes what happened in history. It symbolizes what's happened in their hearts. And we rejoice with them as they go through these waters in obedience to Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, you've never thought, I really need to get baptized to show the world that I love Jesus and I want to live for him. Can I ask you to think through what you've heard tonight? Why is that? What is it that makes us reject one who really did live all those years ago, who really did die, who really did rise again, and who now really does reign in heaven the one who says of us, how you live and what you think of me, Jesus, matters. We would love to talk to you about that. We would love to help open up 
more of the Bible to you, if that would be something you would like to do. We've got these great little books called The Word One-to-One, which take us through one of the true accounts of the life of Jesus. It's called The, uh, the Gospel According to John. And the best thing, before, when I was, before, before I became a Christian at 19, uh, there were various people who spent weeks walking through different passages of the Bible to help me try and understand it. And so I commend it to you. It's a great way to have someone sit down with you and explain it. Um, if you're interested in that, there's a welcome point out there tonight. Fill in one of the little forms there and leave it on the table or give it to one of the stewards and we'd be delighted to point you in the right direction. As well as that, we run a course called Life Explored. It's six weeks of a group of folks who are all interested in exploring this. Uh, No one who attends would really say that they believe in Jesus, but they're exploring it for themselves. Uh, Why not go along to that? It starts in January. Again, you could fill in one of the reforms at the welcome table, and we'd be delighted to point you in the right direction there. Or speak to the person who brought you. It may be the case that you feel convicted concerning what has been said tonight. You know, it doesn't take anything fancy. In the quietness of your heart, you could confess your sin before God. You could say that you believe tonight if you do have faith in your heart. All you need to do is say sorry, thank you, and please, sorry for my sin. Forgive me for that. Uh, Thank you for sending Jesus into this world to pay my penalty so that I don't have to pay it. And please fill me with your spirit and help me to live a life, a life that pleases you, where I see more and more people come to hear about this amazing news. I cannot believe that I've not heard this before. Maybe that's you. Let's bow our heads in the quietness. We'll pray, we'll sing, and then we'll baptize.